This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Out to center. McDonough tried to knock it down, lost it to Besser, played it in front. DiGiuseppe scores! Bill DiGiuseppe tips a bouncing puck on the backhand past UC Soros for his first of the year, just 22 seconds into the second period. The Canucks have the lead back. It's 2-1. to one. Predators players have been out there for a long time. Yossi nearly three minutes. Now here's a shot for the line. They score! Thrown to the goal by Quinn Hughes from the left point. Hoaglander was parked in front and tipped it home. It's 3-1 Canucks. Have your say on the official home of the Canucks. Here are three Predators in the rush. Novak, right wing to the left circle. One timer, they score! A beautiful goal by Kiefer Sherwood. And it's 3-2. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks with back-to-back wins. Now 4-2 on the season. 3-2 on the road trip. And they beat Nashville 3-2 on the road. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And as always, get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. We'll take your phone calls as well. 604-280-0650 or toll-free 1-888-275-0650. Now, Bick, uh, we are going to get to Randy Janda coming up in just a moment. But that... They, they held on to win in the very end. I mean, Nashville had a few power plays. We'll get to the breakdown of what happened in the third. But overall, despite it being a one-goal game, that was a heck of a road effort. And the Canucks closed the road trip very strong. Always get a bit worried about these last ones on a long yeah. road trip, especially to, to begin the year. Uh, they close it out, and there's a lot of that sentiment coming in the inbox. 650-650, Scott and Calgary. I had an unfamiliar feeling watching that game tonight, a sense of security and confidence that we can actually close out a lead with the win and we can actually kill a penalty. What is this feeling? It feels weird. And they played very stable for large stretches of this game. Two turnovers leading to goals. That happens. It's unfortunate, but those are correctable mistakes. Those aren't one we're looking at and saying, hey, if the infrastructure of all this falls apart, what are they going to do? Carson Soucy can be better managing the puck. We know that. So that sort of stuff I think is fixable and it's, it's the type of game you look at and say, hey, this is very encouraging. It is very encouraging. Let's bring in Randy Janda into the conversation. And Randy, we were talking about how Vancouver, they've won some games. Their talent's stepped up. They've also had some, you know, you know, some up and down performances, but they're still trying to really put together their A game. And tonight, in terms of limiting chances against, playing a clean game for the most part, and being good defensively, being good offensively, dominating the possession game, I thought it was a really strong game. And you could even make the case that maybe maybe their best effort for 60 minutes five on five so far this season yeah guys i i thought especially those uh, first 40 minutes they didn't give nashville anything when you start looking at the scoring chances high danger chances uh but even the individual line breakdowns right this is a a, a line that does have a philip forsberg one of bick's favorite players in the league i know mm-hmm. uh ryan o'reilly like they do create offense and for the most part uh, to your point before you brought me on here um Two mistakes lead to chances going back the other way, and one's in your own zone, one's in transition. Outside of that, the Canucks didn't give them anything, and it's unlucky that it ends up in the back of your net. But I really like the effort tonight in terms of just 
you know, that compete level right off the bat. And I love the way that Rick Talkett is saying, all right, I know who's going to bring the energy right off the bat. It's going to be the JT Miller line. And we've seen that the last two games. We've seen when they're starting off periods, who's starting it, who's dictating the energy level and, and the pace of the game, the compete level. It's that line. So tonight I felt like, you know, that line yet again um, – just created opportunities. There was an early two-on-one that Brock Besser and JT Miller had. The puck wouldn't sell for Brock, but that was kind of a sign of, okay, these guys are ready to play tonight. So, you know, props to, I think, the team for putting together a complete effort, but it started with that JT Miller line for me where just kind of dictating the the pace and the energy and the commitment right off the bat. Uh, well, let's uh, go straight to the end, uh, a tense moment. Uh, I imagine for a lot of people said, here we go. PK late in the game. That was the script last year. And then, oh, another PK right after that. Now they get bailed out with the call. But the PK, Randy, so far this year, uh, looking a bit yeah, different. And totally. And can we appreciate the pancake block from uh, Mark Friedman? It reminded me of Laramie Tunsil there, man. <laughs> the way he just blocked Ryan O'Reilly into the net. But, yeah, there was, were a couple of penalties that I'm sure there were obvious penalties on both fronts. But the penalty kill, and there was one sequence where... Philip Ronick gets a stick on a centering pass. Mm-hmm. Ian Cole, active stick, knocks away a puck into the corner. Another opportunity where Dakota Joshua blocks a shot. We're talking about within 20 seconds, these three plays happened where the sticks were in the right lanes, uh, players were in the right spots, and that's a credit to, A, you know, having the right players. We talk about Hironic, we talk about Ian Cole as new addition, so to speak, even though Hironic played a couple of games last year, but it also goes to coaching. Mm-hmm. Just making sure that the information that you're getting to these guys is registering big moments in the game where in the past, and I don't want to bring up the past that much, but in the past we've seen Canucks teams unravel in moments like that where not only do you take a penalty, but you allow a goal and then maybe you follow it up with another penalty. In this case, they killed both and it was a situation where you kind of know that, hey, if these guys kill penalties this way, you know, you've got a, a, a player in Thatcher Demko that, if you make it easy on him, if he can see the puck, he's probably going to stop it as well. So those two late kills especially, just just big and really give the team a lot of confidence to close out games. Yeah, and I mean, to me, the fact that they had the calm and at no point did their structure really wane. Like at 5-on-5, five five, at no point in this game, Randy, did I think they were really in trouble. And even when Nashville was pushing, it didn't feel like it was ever going to be much of a doubt. And, and the goals that Nashville scored, they the, the, the first one, you know, like we kind of broke down, down it's it's one of those things where yeah it's, it's a mistake from Susie that leads to it and also a bad play by Myers not winning the puck and the second goal is you know a misplay and, and on three on two happens and it kind of felt like the only two mistakes Vancouver men made all night ended up in the back of their net but outside of those mistakes it never felt like the team was running around or, or felt like they were under much duress no there and there's a couple of moments maybe that were half chances in the third period there's Evangelista yeah. kind of going outside on Hironic cutting back into the blue paint but uh you know Ryan O'Reilly uh, had another kind of mid-air chance, great hand-eye. Uh, I believe that was in the second period, if I'm not mistaken. But outside of that, guys, there's you're going to have those moments in a game that are you know such a fast-paced game. There's going to be bounces, but you know overall, I start looking at yet again just that top line again in terms of you know take your pick on who you want to call it right now. But with for me, like the JT Miller line kind of dictated. All right, if they're going to play the Ryan O'Reilly line, like what does their their matchup look like and after about 40 minutes of play, or the, sorry, the first opening period, it was 5 nothing shot attempts. Like, when they were on the ice, 
the puck wasn't even in their zone, let alone shot attempts. And you look at the end of game stats where they're in the positive for goals four. They're in, you know, the positive and the territorial advantage. And this was a game where it wasn't just that line where the rest of the team was also, you know, I know the ozone possession stats kind of even up in the end because of the third period, but heading into the third period, it was pretty much all Canucks and comfortably Canucks. So I think that's a, it's a great trend. It's the final game of a road trip where you're probably thinking about going back home. Maybe you got kids on the mind. Maybe you got family on the mind. Maybe you got grocery shopping to do. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of things that you think about on the final game of the road trip. And the mind didn't wander for this Canucks team, which is, a sign of maturity. I'm not saying they're 100% there. There's a lot of learning that they still have to do. But this is a, a step in the right direction. And now to come back with eight points from this road trip and overall in the season, but you know, to, to pick up these wins on this road trip, that's got to be a confident feeling with a couple of pretty decent and competitive teams coming into town. Uh, we, we always like to talk about things that are sustainable, Randy. And we usually talk about like shooting percentages and things like that. And I know when you're winning, you don't want to change things. But my eye does uh, go towards the ice time for the D-men tonight. Philip Pronick, 27 minutes and 33 seconds. Queen Hughes, 25 minutes, 17 seconds. Ian Cole, 23 minutes, 17 seconds. And then... Susie is sitting there with 14 minutes, Myers at 13 and 44, and Mark Friedman at 15:44. It feels like a lot of minutes. And look, there's a lot of people texting in and be like never break up this pairing of Hughes Ronick, and I I'm with those people, but it feels like a lot of minutes right now for three guys. Oh, totally. And that whole top pair and, you know, top four defenseman thing has turned into a top three, which is kind of what we thought maybe at the beginning of the year, even yeah. in that final game against Calgary in the preseason. Um how sustainable is it? I'm not sure, right? 27 minutes per game for Philip Ronick, and you start looking at what he's been able to do shorthanded, what he's been able to do even strength. Uh, this guy is obviously conditioned very well. I think he can handle it, but at some point, whether it's December, whether it's January, it does start to catch up to you. So I don't think there's a long-term solution going and leaning that heavily on him because remember his career average is about 22 he's he's probably one of the most the fittest guys on the Canucks he's he's absolutely ripped he's he's in great shape but you know five minutes more than you've been playing in your career is still a significant step up of Quinn Hughes number 25 17 there was one shift he was out there for about two minutes in the Mm -hmm. defensive zone and I do wonder if they kind of scaled him back after that one Mm -hmm. because he looked like he was tired on the bench um I don't know how long you can do this, guys, because the number that I would like to see Carson Soucy at is probably 17, ideally, in mm-hmm. an area where he's played at before. But this comes down to trust with Adam Foote and trust with Rick Tockett. If you can play games that are a little bit more, let's say you've got a two or three goal lead, you can spread out those minutes a little bit more. You can kind of roll through defensemen. You can give those guys... Uh, opportunities to get more ice. But if it's tight games like this, you got to lean on your best players, right? If you're looking for a goal, you lean on your most skilled forwards. If you're trying to defend a one-goal lead, you're leaning on your best defenseman. And as long as Canucks, the Canucks play tight games, I can expect probably Hronik and Hughes to be in that 25, 26, 27-minute range. Yeah, and I, I think there isn't much they can do in that regard. But one thing was also interesting tonight for the last road game as well, and you mentioned, Randy, good coaching. 
nobody really spent too much time on the ice. Like, look at the average shift length for the Vancouver Canucks. A lot of guys kind of in the 33-second range for Carson Soucy. A lot of guys in the low 40 range. Philip Hronik had the longest shifts, and he was 53 seconds. You look at a team like Nashville, for instance, they had guys over a minute average of shift length, over 50 seconds average shift length. And I think that's something that allowed the Canucks to play with more energy and the fact that they were also able to kind of mitigate against having guys out on the ice too much on the back end to uh, limit some of their mistakes. We talked about the coaching staff doing it by committee and really being hands-on. Well, I think they at least managed it in a good way by not getting guys too tired with long shifts. So I think it was a really well-managed game overall. And somebody also just texted in and said the coach wanted a professional performance and he got it. And if we're looking at signs of this team maturing, coming together and learning, and it's a long way. We're only six games in, Randeep, right? But I think these are the types of things that you want to see them stack up in order for us to, down the road, look at it and say, well, that's where they started showing it, and look at the team they've become, and that's hopefully what, where they get to. No doubt, and I think, you know, your point about spreading out the minutes is a good one, because there's one shift in the game, I think there's about four minutes left in the period, and, you know, Rick Tockett had the fourth line out there, uh, and, and that kind of showed you, um, obviously with, you know, Bavilia and his ice time in the past, it's kind of hovered, hit like a 10-minute, if I'm not mistaken, a few games ago. Uh, today he was in that 12-minute range, but to be able to cycle through different players and have confidence in that moment to to bring out, you know, somebody else that maybe you're not leaning on as much as the stars, that does say, hey, you have a, a role in ensuring this team gets the win too. So it's not shying away from getting some of these guys ice time later on in the game. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev I wanted to touch on a little bit though, guys. Uh, two minutes more than the last game. And I thought there were some good moments last game as well, but today he just looked that much more confident. Mm-hmm. He gets the goal, which is UC Saros will want that one back, no doubt. But outside of that goal... Just in and around the net, having that you know that chemistry with Kuzmenko, where if there's a puck loose or if there's a board battle or, or a puck battle in the neutral zone, the last two games these guys have been on the same wavelength and they've created opportunities. Um, one on the two on one against Florida that Mikheyev couldn't finish, but here Mikheyev ends up doing it. So I just I like the confidence game by game that he's starting to pick up and it might take a couple of weeks he's coming back from a big knee injury but to see him you know up his minutes even by two minutes in this game was good to see uh but he wasn't the only one right ian cole didn't have a great game against florida uh 23 minutes 17 seconds and just like a solid as a rock back there especially on the pk and in crunch time getting big plays uh it's moments like that why you sign veterans maybe on one-year deals, maybe on two-year deals, just because they can bring that experience like a McKayev, like an Ian Cole, and close out games for you. Uh, last one for me, because um, we're talking about all these committed performances and everything like that. And, and not that I think he was the best player tonight, but we're seeing consistent effort throughout the course of his game, JT Miller. And late in that third, like yeah. launches a guy into the corner, finishing his check, and you start talking about all these other principles that are happening across the ice, shot blocks and everything like that. There's a guy that's meant to be a leader for your team really doing a lot of physical work right now. For sure. And he's, you know, we've there's been a lot of discussion in the city, obviously, about JT Miller and, and being vocal and all of that. But his the speaking he's doing on the ice right now in terms of with his play is the most impressive thing because even if he doesn't get the points, right? Uh, yeah. Tonight, he doesn't get any points. He's a plus one. But his line out there was absolutely, you know, there were monsters on the ice. It felt like every single time they were on the ice, especially in the offensive zone, just hounding pucks, that they were getting a stick on it, that he was finishing his checks. And JT mentioned this prior to the season saying, I don't really care, po- care about points. This, against Edmonton, uh, when he had that one point taken away from him and it was five and ended up being four, 
I think there was a quote after that game saying, hey, man, I just want to be a better 200-foot player. Yeah. Like, I, the points are great. And he's backing it up because, Sat, I know you've talked about this as well. It's like, hey, talk is great. But if you can't back it up or if you don't back it up mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the play on the ice, it doesn't matter. So to see JT, you know, be a physical like menace out there, to have the skill and still pick up points, but at the same time, just winning that territorial advantage whenever he's on the ice against some of the toughest matchups in the league, that's progress, right? That's the progress in the two-way game that we were thinking about maybe two years ago or even last year when he had that terrible start to the season. He's come uh, back in, in this season. Uh, for this season, he's been ready to go, and I think that's a credit to where he stands on this team as a leader, but also probably looking in the mirror and saying, hey, I need to back up what I say, and he's been doing a lot this year thus far. Well, like, for instance, tonight, uh, the players he played the most against, Luke Evangelista, Ryan O'Reilly, Tommy Novak, Philip Forsberg. Right? Like yep. These are the guys he faced the most ice time against with the opposition. It's the top players on that team, even Roman Yossi for four minutes. So, I mean, and he's winning the matchup, and he's been doing it ever since the season began. It, it's tremendous from him, and also how Phil Giuseppe and Brock Besser have both also played on his wings. It makes it an overall effort for them being such a strong line. Before we let you go, final one for me as well here is Niels Hoaglander gets a goal tonight. He came out of the lineup. He's always talked about here in this market. Sometimes gets overrated. Sometimes perhaps gets overlooked. But you can't really argue with the bottom line he's produced so far. He's up to, what, four points on the season now in five games that he's played, got a second goal. But more than anything, Randy, I think we saw some of that doggedness we've been wanting to see from him and no obvious defensive lapses from him tonight. Yeah, what you want from Niels Hoaglander is that if he's playing nine minutes, if he's playing 13, if he's playing 15, uh, the bottom line is great. You know, getting that goal, skating through the slot, getting a stick on that, gets position on Roman Yossi and is able to to make that tip but even beyond that just being a nuisance on the ice and in the attacking zone whether it was board battles or whether it was you know behind the net or it was along you know the blue line he was just his stick was you know being disruptive he was taking the body and and that's what you want to see it's 8:59 of ice time it's not like he was fully trusted there by Rick Tockett but this is where you can start developing that trust you get the bottom line it's it's kind of what Bruce Boudreaux used to say right it, Either, you know, give me some goals or you got to play a perfect game or a pretty solid defensive game. Well, he gets the bottom line tonight. He gets a goal. But there was those little things that if he can add that to his game, every single game you're noticing him for the right reasons, and the team has a a solid team game, he's going to stay in the lineup more often than not. So he does have that offensive side to his game. But I just like that edge he brought. He didn't bring, you know, monster hits, but it was just a, a, dis- a disruptive element, being a nuisance on the ice in a good way in terms of just pressuring whether it's a winger along the boards or whether it's a defenseman behind the net. That's what he's got to do. He's got to win back possession for this team. And, you know, Talkett has mentioned, I've heard he's a buzz- buzzsaw, right? And yeah. <laughs> implying that, hey, he's got that in his game, but I haven't seen it yet when he says, I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, the more he can string along moments like that and be consistent in his game, I think he'll have the coach's trust. It's still a long way to go, but this was a, a decent effort in my opinion. Yeah, I, I'm with you too. I think it was a strong effort from Niels uh, Hoaglander and the team as a whole, and they come away with a 3-2 three, three, victory. Randy, great stuff calling the game a, a, alongside Brendan Batchelor. Look forward to chatting with you from Rogers Arena on Friday when the Canucks are back home again and take on the St. Louis Blues.
All right, uh, and Bick, I know what you're going to be doing in the lead-up to that game. You're going to be uh, analyzing that Mark Fried- Friedman uh, pancake block for, for <laughs> hours upon hours and how he can protect Geno Smith for the Seahawks. Yeah. For sure. We'll have a post-game deep dive on it. <laughs> Cheers, boys. All right, great stuff. Uh, that's Randy Janda calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650 uh, And we'll, we'll keep going. We'll hear from head coach Rick Tockett as soon as that becomes available to you. Let's run through some text messages actually right now. Um, this one here says, this was a game the Canucks would lose last year. There's a big sentiment like that in text inbox and, you know, people saying do not break up Hughes and Hironic and seeing the chemistry obviously brewing between between those guys. Uh, this one, uh, boys close it out. Tech yeah. Uh, PD's got to practice those empty netters uh, and they're coming back home. Dale and Kamloops still have my reservations about this team, but it was an overall good performance and they're making it enjoyable for us. Can't complain about the start. Certainly not. Four mm-hmm. and two. And they make their way back home. Alex and Michigan Canucks next game against the Blues on the second half of a back-to-back and three games in four nights. Five and two record looks likely. Optimistic start to the year. Uh, it's coming to the inbox. 650-650. We'll wait to see what the Friday result looks like. But yes. nevertheless, opportunity there to go five and two. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, and I, I know it's it's too early to you know really look at the standings and everything, so to speak. But picking up points against your opponents at any time of the season is pos- is positive, especially for a team that needs to get off to a good start. And uh, that's where the Canucks find themselves right now. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox six fifty six fifty, and you can get your phone calls in as well. We'll get back to also analyzing this game, breaking it down a bit more closely about what we saw about the Canucks and how it's also encouraging in terms of terms of what trend we might see moving forward. That more after a 3-2 Canucks victory over the Predators in Nashville. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hughes feeds below the goal line for Hoaglander. Banks it back to the right point for Hironic. Predators players have been out there for a long time. Yossi nearly three minutes. Now here's a shot for the line. They score. Thrown to the goal by Quinn Hughes from the left point. Hoaglander was parked in front and tipped it home. It's 3-1 Canucks. And Niels is claiming that one as he goes down the bench. Niels Hoaglander scores for the Vancouver Canucks as they win 3-2 on the road in Nashville against the Predators. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And we are going to get to a couple phone calls here in just a moment's time here. Uh, But before we do that, Bick, what are the people saying to the text inbox? 65650 uh this one uh fellas i know the coaches don't like breaking up a f- winning for- formula but this is not maintainable at all as far as the d time minutes uh why not split up Hughes and Ronick to two different pairings uh veteran coaching move uh sorry this one's from Steve uh, Sergio from Langley veteran coaching move by talk letting the rest have it after back to back calls there late in the third and also TJ in Saskatchewan nice to see the PK come through again hung in in the third, a bit, but great first 40 minutes. Preds couldn't keep up with the top six. Hughes is unreal. Good win and good start to the season. Yeah, absolutely. A really good start to the season. Four wins in their first six games. There was a comment on Quinn Hughes. I know there's been a lot of love for Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronic as a pair, and we'll get to that coming up in a second. Put a pin in it for a moment. We have to couple, we'll get to a couple of phone calls, and we'll get back to talk about it because I understand the trepidation about you know having both those guys together. 
But there are certain things that get unlocked that, well, you really can't unlock unless you put those guys together. So we'll talk about that coming up in just a few moments. But let's go to the phone boards and let's start things off uh, in North Van where we have Stu on the line. Stu, what's going on, man? What do you have for us tonight? Hey, gentlemen, good evening. I hope everyone's well over there. Yes, very good. Thank you. You? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. And, um, yeah, just kind of picking up on what one of the uh, earlier texters sent in. And, yeah, no, I think this game, if you look at it just from, you know, tape to tape, this is probably a game the Canucks lose like eight out of ten times in the past couple of seasons, just given how the pace of it went. You know, it, it was a tight game. And, I mean, down to the wire, those, uh, you know, that empty net off the post and then another one that just whipped wide. Um, you know, dude, forget about the, the elevator doing the grouse grind. You want to get your blood pumping? Just yeah. watch Tyler Myers on the ice. I swear, he gets my BPMs just going. That guy just gives me something. I don't know. It's scary, but I don't know. Real talk, like looking at the uh, the schedule here in October, it's a, it's a great beginning. And looking at how we wrap it up with the next three games, Blues, Rangers, and uh, the Preds again, if we can snag another two wins out of the next three and then wrap up October 6-3, and three, and you're looking at what's going on in the division. I mean, McDavid's down. They got blown out tonight by the Wild. You got the Rangers probably going to beat the Flames. Uh, Flyers up in the Golden Knights. I mean, it's early, I know. But, I mean, it's never too early to scoreboard watch as a Canadian hockey fan, right? <laughs> yeah. So, if you're looking for a pass in the division right now, this is the foundation. So, like, come January, this could be looking back as, like, this was a huge framework to maybe get, you know, second in a division or something like that. All right, boys. Thank you. Have a good night. I'll talk to you all later. Hey, thank you. That's Stu in North Van. Strong call. And, he, and he's not wrong, you know. And it's not about scoreboard watching today and being like, hey, they're going to make the playoffs. It's more about, he's right. you got to start stacking these things. And it's never too early as a hockey fan to look at what you're building and what else you have to do, right? We always talk about the Canucks being a team that have that has played from behind not only in games a lot last season, but also in terms of how many losses they stack up early. And now you're trying to make up, you know, an 0-5-2 start like last season. In previous years where the first 10, 12 games, it was very clear it was going to be nearly impossible for them to make the postseason unless a miracle run happened. What was the common refrain people had? Hey, the Blues did it. Why not the Canucks? And I mean, why not be like the 15 other teams that make the playoffs rather than last game in? Well, yeah. And and it was, it was something that had happened once. Like it's a, it's a once in a generation type of thing that happens. And it's like, yeah, a once in a generation thing could happen, but it's probably not going to happen. That's why it's once in a generation. And that's why that's the hope you've had as a Canucks fan. If you had any at all, was some miracle run happening. So now if you get off to a good start at the very least, you're playing ahead, and that's a different challenge, too, and it's a long season. But why not give yourself a chance, and why not have the mentality as a fan base, too, if they get off to a good start of, hey, let's see where we're going instead of, hey, let's let's not let's hope this doesn't fall apart, or I hope they catch up to the pack. It's like, yeah, build up a bit of a lead, and then see if that helps you get into the postseason in the end. We all have that memory of Harold Drukin scoring late in the season. It's like, oh, they're going to the playoffs! No. You can clinch in, like, game 70. That's okay, yeah, too. It's really good. And how to get there is... Win early in the season. And it's a great call from Stu, something I was talking about on the show yesterday, because of this McDavid news. Yeah. Okay, well, let's look at two weeks here for the Oilers. They played Minnesota tonight, lose. That's a playoff team. They play the Rangers. That was a playoff team last year. They're getting ready for the Heritage Classic versus Calgary, Battle of Alberta. It's not going to be an easy game. They just, they're going to get ready to play the Predators, who were kind of early season plucky. And then they get Vancouver, who they've already lost to twice. Calgary, they're about to lose to the Rangers. They play the Blues. They got the Heritage Classic. They go against Dallas and then Seattle. 
L.A., they got two games against Arizona, Vegas, Toronto, Ottawa, Philadelphia. A bunch of teams that can score goals, and they've had problem stopping goals. You look at this and say, you know, we came to the season like, okay, wild card, wild mm-hmm. card. Maybe you sniff a Pacific Division three. If you have success here in these next two weeks, and that's why there should be urgency, and that's why it's, it's great that Rick talked today, hey, make it a professional performance today. Keep the urgency. Keep extending what the start looks like because if you – open up a separation between the, the the fourth and fifth teams here of six, seven points. Like We know how tough it is yeah. to make up points right now. No, It really is. And it takes like weeks for you to make up just a handful of points even, right? And in Seattle Kraken, we're a team that's really falling far behind. Big win for them to just keep themselves somewhat in it early. Otherwise, they're doing what Vancouver would have to do the last few years, and that's try to play catch-up. And hey, it adds up quickly. It snowballs fast. We've seen it. So hopefully it continues going the other way for this hockey team. Strong victory tonight, 3-2 over the Preds in Nashville. We are going to get to head coach Rick talking coming up in just a few moments, but we have time for one more phone call before we do that. And let's go to Abbotsford. We have our pawn on the line. What's going on, man? What do you have for us tonight? Our pawn, are you there? All right. He is gone. All right. So uh, with much further ado, because we have head coach Rick Tockett ready, let's get to the head coach's thoughts on a big road victory to improve the team to four wins on the season. Here he is post game. Do you feel like that was the best game of the road trip for your group? Yeah, I think we really wanted to try to, you know, the neutral zone and cut down on shots. And I think we did that tonight. I think it was a, especially, I thought the first half we were really good, diligent. And then, you know, obviously the, the, the third was a, we hung in there and did the, what we had to do to win the game. Our penalty kill was our penalty kill was really good. I mean, you give you give uh, back-to-back penalties with four or five minutes left, and you know you're over, you're over using guys. I, I thought the resolve of that penalty kill, and I, I, I've liked our penalty kill. I know the stats don't show it, but I think our penalty kill has been good this year. What did this trip do for reinforcing the staples, as you call them, yeah. identity? Well, I think it's game management, things like that. Um, you know, there's been pockets of it. I think tonight we put it all together where, you know, they made some presses, and I thought we handled their presses pretty good. Um, you know, it's, it, it, you know it's, a, it's a really good road trip after winning this game. You know, if you lose the game, then it's like, okay, trip, trip type of thing. But winning this game, the psyche of the players, it's like, hey, you know, if we stick with the, the process and the staples, all the, you know, the stuff I always say every day, it works. One week ago tonight, you were stinking in Philadelphia. Yeah. And probably played your best game tonight. Yeah. How pleased are you with the progression that you've seen since then? Or seemed a little better against Tampa? Well, I, I give the players a lot of credit in that room because, you know, the, you know, you know, I, we were all pissed off at that game. And then... Um, they took the leadership, and, they, and and some guys took it on their own. Hey, we got to be better. So, um, and I stayed away. You know, they kind of ran the room a little bit, and I thought that was great. That's prof- that's a, we're talking about a professional game. I thought we there was a lot of professionalism today. Did you see a gear out of your team that you hadn't seen in the previous five? Yeah, especially the first half. I mean, we we were we were on top of pucks. There was some snapping pucks around. It, it, it was it was nice to watch. You know, uh, behind the bench, and then. Um, you know, that's the sort of thing. You know, and you chip away. Obviously, the Tampa game, we you know, we were a little bit better. Florida, we were a little bit better. And I thought tonight we kind of put it together. I don't want to give you too much credit, but you talked about Vegas early in the morning uh, and sort of described the idea of a team that doesn't have a lot of second-chance opportunities, certainly in that first half. That's got to be pretty close to what you're envisioning in your mind's eye there, right? Yeah, like I, I just felt we hung on to pucks. You know, we, we handled the puck. And I did... 
I use them because obviously they're a Stanley Cup winning team, but they're very good at holding pucks and, and making the other team play 200 feet. You know, that's our next level. You know, uh, you know, we're still sometimes we're making those cute plays there, I think, in the second before the second, a little bit in the third every once in a while. But if we can just have that resolve to, to, to be diligent and hold on to those pucks, make the other team go 200 feet. And I thought for the most part, I thought the guys did a great job when it came to that. What do you seeing in terms of your breakout because in years past and even when you first came here faster opponents could occasionally get this team a little bogged down in their own end yeah. and it seems like tested pretty significantly by two really fast teams uh, over the last 72 hours feels like your team's still been able to connect them. yeah well that's something that um, you know one of my things is you know, and Adam Foote and Gonch and Yosi is like, we got to, if you can't break out the puck in this league um, and have five guys participate, you're going to have a tough time winning. You know, analytics will tell you, you know, um, if you can break out, that's the mo- when the team's most vulnerable against their forecheck. Everybody thinks it's OZP, right? Um, it's not true. It's breakout. So we, and we're, we're, we're still trying to get better, um, but I feel that, a good team makes calls, right? Whatever your call and breakout is and be hard with it. Um, and I think we're starting to chip away at that. Um, you know, that's something that we should almost practice every day. What, uh, what are you getting from Nils? Or what did you get tonight from Nils in the bottom six? Yeah, the energy. You know, there's a big goal going to the net. You know, and, um, you know, I thought he did a, a nice job. Um so, you know, if we can get him with energy, you know, and like I said, I, studs, studs came out not because of his play. So, you know, there's going to be two or three guys going to have to rotate in and out to keep, to keep that energy level going. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 3-2 win in Nashville against the Predators. And we've heard uh, Tockett rip into his team. And this was a game where he called them professional. He mentioned before the game, and people texted in about this, uh, over the course of the past couple of days, they were in Nashville for two days. He wondered about their professionalism. He didn't ask. He didn't call it out. He just said, I hope to see a professional performance. And that's what it was tonight. Not only on the ice, but in terms of preparedness heading into it. You know, you had two nights in Nashville. You had the day off before the game. Were you going to have fun the day before the game? Or have fun two days before and then make sure you recover and come in ready to play? And and that's what they did. You know, nobody showed up tonight not feeling it. Which Mm -hmm. shows that, you know, they handled this road trip like professionals. And... And, and you know, I'm sure somebody's listening and saying, what do you mean professional? They're National Hockey League players getting millions. But that's the bar. And we talked about the past couple of years, that professionalism wasn't there. Now, it's only six games, but also what he mentioned is big for the psyche because you're winning games, you're winning games doing the staples he mentioned adhering to the system, to how they want to be and as a team. And when you have success doing those things, it fosters more buy-in. Like we were talking to Randy before. And that's so important early in the season, especially with a coach who's not brand new, but it's still a new relationship. You're trying to build a new season, a lot of new players here. So it's really critical for you to pick up results, especially when you do the things you need to do well to win. There's multiple ways to get buy-in, right? We, we, it's, it's so important to have buy-in as a, as a team in any sport. You can get sold by the coach, mm-hmm. or you can have the results speak for themselves. And if Rick Tockett doesn't need to go in there today and say, hey, guys, I told you, I told you this would work, he can just sit back. As he said, he's like, I, I don't need to go in there because they're going to look and say, hey, four and two on the road trip. Come back home. The results are kind of speaking for themselves. Yes. And how do you start getting buy-in? And that's how that psyche kind of flips. There's 
you know, for the players themselves, there's confirmation bias for this and say, hey, we're winning. This can work. And you start buying in a little bit more and you start adhering to those staples that are important. So I, I think it's really important that he kind of pointed out. It's like, hey, this is big for the psyche of the players because it takes this mm-hmm. road trip that could have been three and three. And we still would have sat here and said, hey, OK, like good road trip. Did did decent enough. You're three and three here after six games. But now you, you flip it to. Hey, this is something that you can get excited about, and it's easy now for the players to uh, buy into what Rick Tockett is preaching. Yeah, and I think the other part, and this is something that I wanted to get to here in terms of seeing progress and why this type of victory can be more than just a win if you keep building towards something. Because there's been a lot of talk, and I think fair questions about can they generate more offense? Can they also not be as permissive with really big scoring chances? Can they get something tangible out of their bottom six, which has struggled? Can they get something that works outside of Philip Heronic uh, and Quinn Hughes being on the same D pair? And not that everything was answered tonight, but like the coach mentioned, we saw some improvements, right? They were a bit better against Tampa and actually thought overall against Tampa, that's a good team. And I know early season they've had some struggles, but that's a really good hockey team. When you go back and rewatch the game, they had moments, but like they were close Like in terms of, okay, actually putting up a good fight. And it was a close hockey game. Against the Panthers, for 40 minutes, they were really good. 20 minutes, really good in the second period, but not quite all the way there. And it's not like they're all the way there. There's still questions and concerns and things they have to improve, obviously, Bick, but... They, only, they held the opponent to 17 shots on goal tonight. 17. That's pretty good. And just in terms of how strong they played in the critical areas, and I mentioned Hoaglander earlier even doing it, there wasn't a single player tonight who wasn't at least engaged, like that first game we saw in Edmonton, winning battles, contesting pucks, playing with P, speed, playing with pace, playing smart hockey. And that's the type of identity this team needs to have, and we've seen signs of it, and it's encouraging that they're growing the past three games after flashing it so spectacularly in that first game of the season. I'm just going to read you the Corsi through the three periods for the National Predators. Okay. 11 in the first, 8 in the second, 11 in the third. That's at 5-on-5. Five five. So when, when you're trying to chase the game here, how did you manage it? And the Canucks got 29 attempts in the second period. We've talked about second periods being mm-hmm. a struggle right now for the Canucks. Well, they dominated the percentage, uh, the, the, the shot share in the second. And again, total... Uh, all situations, 15 attempts for the Predators in the first, 8 in the second, 19 in the third. Well, and, and you know, like like he mentioned as well, right? We need to work on our staples, and those are the things that need to happen. And what did he, did he mention in terms of being a big staple? Game management, puck management, the, the decisions you make with the puck, especially in critical moments, and how you're handling pressure in some other moments as well in terms of being in the right spot. But we mentioned, you know, somebody texted in and said, if you listen to the talk, it's not just a system as Sat, said, as Sat, as Sat says, it's a philosophy with several principles he expects players to commit to and execute. And he's right, but that's what he refers to as the staples. And that's why he's spoken about staples versus system, which, yes, it's a good way of phrasing it, saying it's an overall philosophy about what to do. But in terms of how you're executing your brain, Breakouts, which is something he spoke about, which is more system related. And he said he wanted to have five guys move up. And I think we saw a lot more puck support tonight. And I'd say more connectivity with the five players oftentimes, especially when, when we didn't see Hughes and Heronic. And I think that's the big concern. What can this team do when those two guys are not on the ice? Do you have enough on the back end? And I think you have to do it collectively. Again, the by committee thing. And if you look at how they used their five-man breakouts for much of the game and how much puck support they had, not only... 
in the offensive zone, but especially through the neutral zone. And that first goal that gets scored is essentially just winning a couple battles, working through contact, and just keeping moving through the neutral zone. And it was multiple players getting involved into the play. So it's just one of those things where a lot of positives, a lot of things are getting better, a long way to go still to be considered a strong, good hockey team. But I think you're starting to build at least a little bit of a foundation. And as far as you know, which players were engaged and which ones weren't, if you just went through, like, okay, what are counting stats that you look at for engagement? Hits, takeaways, block shots. Yeah. There was only two players that didn't that went zeros in there. McKayev and Kuzmenko. And you're telling me that they weren't engaged? Because guess what? They ended up on the score sheet. Goal and an assist. So everyone did something tonight. Uh, fantastic road performance. You mentioned Mikheyev. How good did he look tonight? I think he's in the conversation of again. I, I don't know if anyone had like an eight out of ten performance, but I think everyone had a seven. I mean, if you had to kind of pick three or four guys, it'd be okay. This guy was the best player of the game. He'd probably be in that conversation for me tonight. Like the Canucks, three stars would be what Mikheyev, Quinn Hughes, and would you say Patterson? Actually, I just looked at the three stars picked by Nashville media. Uh, Kiefer Sherwood was uh, number one. Oh, but Mikheyev and Hoaglander were one and two. All right. I mean, I think Mikheyev fits that bill. I think Quinn was up there too. And I, and I thought Patterson, honestly, he got no points tonight. Mm-hmm. But I thought this was the best he's played out of the last three games. Like he, he's picked up points all along the way. but I, And he had zeros tonight in terms of points. But I thought this was the and best. And he should have got one on the empty netters. Yeah, well, should have had one, yes. Maybe should have worked brushed up on the empty network like people were mentioning on the text inbox. Uh, all right, Bick, let's get to some text messages on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 65650. Uh, this one says jokes for 60. This is all too positive, guys. Where's Mike from Surrey? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, this one, uh, not sure if the Canucks are good or the Pacific is bad. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, a good opportunity uh, for the Canucks with these next couple of weeks here. While some teams work some things out and McDavid's out, certainly something to keep an eye on. That one's from Austin in Langley. Uh, this one, uh, Cole and Calgary mentioning the same thing. Canucks one of two teams above 500 in the Pacific. As bumpy as this trip has been, a nightmare for the Alberta and California teams. Canucks wildcard competition in Calgary and Seattle. Each have two wins. Uh, sitting pretty for now, but we've got to solve the D the best we can. And there is some concern about the D minutes coming in here, and some people still want to see another puck-moving D-man come in. Uh, this one, I think if Ethan Bear comes back, then Hironic and Quinn might play less. But as, as we've been talking about, it, for Ethan Bear to return, you're still looking at late November probably. And yeah. when when is he at the stage when you finally say, okay, now we can really thrust the minutes upon you and start decreasing everybody else's minutes because you're playing at a certain level fitness-wise and confidence-wise? To me, that's that's still like January. It's coming off a major injury, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so it's one of those things where you can't expect a ton early. Now, the flip side would be what are we seeing from the Canucks back end that that he can't pass in terms of a bar. I think the bar that he has to pass is obviously not as high. So perhaps you can get something that's comparable or slightly better, but it is going to take a little bit of time and we'll see if they have any other internal solutions they turn to in the meantime. But so far, well, they've won two games in a row. They're now four and two on the season and we'll see how they go with these D pairs. But you mentioned uh, Hughes and Hirona playing together and we have a lot of people texting in about the chemistry uh, that we've seen with those two guys in particular. I think the case for keeping them together is all dependent on how much superior value are you getting when they're a D pair. Because 
they had some moments tonight when we saw Quinn Hughes, and I want you to break this down in terms of the chances he can take and also how it can impact the play that you normally wouldn't see if he played with somebody that he knows isn't quite as adept as a player like Hironic. There's two moments, I mean, for that stick out. And the one that was really obvious is in the first period, I think it was. Quinn kind of does a spin in the offensive zone. Hironic overlaps him at the top of the blue line. He slides it to him. Hironic comes down the left wall, tries to put a pass into the middle of the ice. But you just see, okay, I'm reading you. We both can be offensively creative. I'll play off of you and go uh, take the puck off of you and go create mm-hmm. something. And Hughes was, hey, I'll give you the puck and I'll, I'll hang in the center and deep. You you go try to create something. So that's a moment where you look and say, hey, are they linking up? Or are they looking for each other here? But the one that stood out to me was coming out of the own zone of, you know, you're under pressure, you go retrieve the puck behind the line, and you slide it to your D partner. Traditionally, you would say, if it's any number of the, the demon that Quinn Hughes has had to play with over the past couple of years, hey, off the glass, out, flip it out, whatever you got to do. And Quinn doesn't really jump into the play. He waits to establish possession down the ice in the neutral zone or on a forecheck, and then he starts to kind of being the rover. But with with Philip Pronick, I think you see him being willing as soon as he gives it to Ronick. Now, I can trust this guy to go make a play. Even if he's under pressure, he can go make a pass, connect it to our forwards, and I don't have to wait. And suddenly, these four checkers that are chasing Queen Hughes, which is already a tough enough task as it is, he's now not waiting to wait for the play to develop. It's, okay, let's just go react. This guy's going to go make a play. I trust him to complete a pass that's 14 feet away. But if he can do it, now everyone then gets linked, and I can even go play a role in this. How much more expansive can we get? And there was a couple of moments in that second period. He would give it to Hronik. Hronik would get it to a forward. And we ta- always talk about, hey, that chip play off the wall. Hit your center and get it out. Well, now the chip play is going to Quinn Hughes because mm-hmm. he's fast enough to get up the ice. Well, now you have two guys going up the ice and Quinn Hughes with speed. It's it's such an interesting wrinkle when Quinn Hughes can trust the partner that he's with. Honestly, what it looked like a lot to me tonight is a player on the opposite side who does that really well is Roman Yossi. And you look at the deep pairs he's been on, and that's how he's been such an impactful 5 on 5 score. fantastic deep partners. He always does. And that's why you see him always join the rush. You know, People always comment that he's a fourth forward. Oftentimes, he's almost a rover. I mean, it's because he can do that. And that's a level you can unlock from Quinn Hughes. And he's still obviously responsible defensively. But with his improved shot and his more, I'd say, different mindset in terms of how he's getting shots on goal, that's great individually. But also in terms of you being able to generate the rush, being able to generate more offense and generate more pressure offensively, you may not even get points on plays where you're the reason why a goal was scored. But now, yeah, think of all the ancillary benefits of this. Yeah. Of Now, four checkers. Hey, I can't go too, too deep because Quinn's activating so much earlier in the play. So should I pull up at the hash? Should I pull up at the paint? Do I push it all the way to the goal line? Are retrievals suddenly easier for the Vancouver Canucks against Quinn Hughes? And they're already, you know, Quinn Hughes makes them look easy. He, he already does, has success yes. doing it. Now, if you give him more time behind the net with the puck, do other lanes open up? It's, it's, do you put four checkers in conflict suddenly? Because now they can't go pressure the right side because mm-hmm. Rona can easily get it out. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think... That's the argument for why you keep these guys together. And I understand the concern of what can you do outside of it. But I thought, as we mentioned before, the way you mitigate that is keeping shifts short and being very smart and being very hands-on in your deployment. And the Canucks were 
did that tonight. I mean, Ian Cole played twenty, what twenty three minutes tonight. Mm-hmm. Quinn Hughes had twenty five and, and change, and Hironic had twenty seven and a bit minutes tonight. And everybody else was like under fifteen outside of Friedman, who was like fifteen and something or whatever. So what we saw was. Hironic and Hughes, and yeah, they played with some other guys a little bit, but it was Ian Cole rotating through guys, essentially. And it was Susie playing with Myers for the most part in very limited minutes, but I thought they pretty much got away with a lot of it, especially by having Elias Pettersson out when Hughes wasn't out. So Elias Pettersson handled the puck a lot, and I think when he's done that, he he's able to almost act like a an extra defenseman, especially when he goes low and, and helps with the breakouts with how good he is passing the puck but also skating the puck out. So I do think there are ways here where as long as those guys can play solid defensively, you can get away with it. And, and not only get away with it, you can excel with it. And that's exactly what they did tonight. So this is a template against a decent team, not a great team, where you can pull that off. There will be moments, I guess, when you have to be a bit more selective. But... I think how you just described it and broke it down in terms of what we can see from Quinn Hughes when he has a partner like Philip Ronick, it's almost like too good of too 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 much upside for you to forego it. Uh, and just really looking quickly at the Quinn Hughes shifts, um, as you were talking about like managing the the shift lengths and, and being short with it, I'll, I'll do a better job of this in the break and actually go through which shifts yeah. uh like maybe some of these are on the power play but just looking he only had one that was beyond a minute 25 um it was the the, the long one which was 223 so if Quinn Hughes is just kind of going one minute one minute one minute you can kind of live in that reality yeah and it's 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 how you allow guys to recover quickly for their mm-hmm. next shift as well. And I think that's a, a real smart way of looking at it. We'll break that down on the other side. We'll get to more of your text messages, more of your phone calls, plus Canucks players. As we keep discussing the Canucks, four two vic- no, 3-2 victory over the National Predators, their fourth win so far this season. More coming up on Home of Your Canucks, Sportsnet 650, and the Sportsnet Radio Network. And the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Face off to Demko's right. One up the boards. Kuzmenko trying to clear. Initially, Fabro held in, but now it is swept to center, and Kuzmenko carries right wing to the Nashville line for Mikheyev. Long shot, he scores! Ilya Mikheyev in across the blue line. Beats UC Soros from long range. He's got his first of the season in his second game of the year. And the Canucks lead 1-0. Welcome back, Ilya. Picked up an assist last game, and here ends up sniping past UC Soros. Ilya Mikheyev. Gets on the board. Two points in two games so far. Doesn't look too out of place, despite coming off major reconstructive knee surgery after repairing his ACL. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the Home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Um, and, you know, you know, on Ilya Mikheyev, I can't find a text right now. I know a lot of people texted. You have it? I've got two here. Okay, good. Uh, one from KG. Mick has been great. Also glad they took the slow approach with him. Big difference to be fully healthy. Now, mm. I don't know if he's fully healthy right now. Getting closer. Uh, still, still working his way back. It's, it's 15 minutes tonight. Didn't play all on the PK. That, to me, is going to be the big, big indicator. When mm. they put him out on the PK and getting regular minutes there, uh, that's like, all right, now you're ready to take on the full load of minutes that we want to give you. Uh, also, uh, the other one, I uh, don't know if this is the one that you're referencing, um, but 
Joseph from South Surrey. McKay mm-hmm. looking better. Still doesn't look like he has his top gear. One play in particular in the second looked like pre-injury would have taken off for a breakaway. Joseph in South Surrey. And... You know, I saw on Tuesdays on the People Show, we talked to Yannick Hansen. I asked Yannick, like, hey, what was your biggest injury? And yeah. what were the complications when you came back? And it was a knee injury for Yannick. And he said, you know, when I first came back, it, it felt like it took me eight months to really get to a stage where I felt comfortable on the ice. And you could just see in these moments of hesitations along the wall and mm-hmm. stop-start mo- motions, how much trust do I have in my body? And, you know, those are the things you're going to be keeping an eye on for Ilya Mikheyev here over these six weeks, two months, whatever it takes. To, to really get comfortable. A hundred percent. And, you know, uh, that's the type of injury. Like he mentioned, like just coming off an injury took him eight months. But some guys, it takes about 18 months before you get to like the level you were mm-hmm. before in terms of your overall abilities with that knee and how much, you know, explosiveness you have. But the incredible thing is he's such a great skater mm-hmm. that even him now at like whatever percentage of his abilities he's at is still more than most players on the ice. And you mentioned a stop start. That was the most encouraging thing to me. There's a couple of plays where he turned on a dime and really powered his way forward, created space for himself, got the puck into open spaces as well the biggest issue he's had Bick, is timing oh yeah that's been the biggest There's thing multiple plays in the offensive zone set up by kuzmenko yeah where he heals it goes off the side of his stick he just misses it uh there was a couple against mm-hmm. uh florida where it's like oh he's so close to it but yeah the timing thing is gonna be the big thing if that starts to come in man like He's putting himself in the right spots. Like, you see such an intelligent player. He's not just, like, mindlessly fast, push the defense back, and then kind of resort to let the four other guys create. Like, he's getting in the right spots, and there's opportunity with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Like, clearly, Pedersen can find anyone, and he's got good chemistry with Kuzmenko. That Russian connection, they just see the game the same way. Uh, There's a chance. Like, he he had his most productive uh, points-per-game stretch in his career in Vancouver. And that was with the injury. Uh, so if he's feeling a bit healthier, uh, what does that look like for for his production? Yeah, I think it, it can obviously help in a huge way, but also just in terms of the way Andre Kuzmenko looks ever since Mikheyev came back. You mentioned Kuzmenko setting up Mikheyev. Like, there's clearly something there in terms of their connection on the ice and also off the ice. You know, the coach mentioned and you know, even joked about having another Russian back and having his pal back and how that helps out. But I think that's actually something that might be tangible here for Kuzmenko because he looks like a completely different player since McCabe came back the last two games. Uh, absolutely. 650, 650. Uh, this one, uh, Cam and Yellow Point. It seems like there's a lot of faith in Rick Tockett and the staff. Nice to have solid coaching in place. Petey Hughes, Demko, uh, going to another level together. It is a great sign. And yeah, look, tonight they got goals from PDG and Hoaglander and Mikheyev. Uh, but, but make no mistake, like the, the early season success here is being charged on by the leaders yeah. and the best players. You know, Quinn Hughes looks fantastic every single shift. Pedersen, like going through maybe a physical ailment. But, but looked good, really good tonight. Tonight, I, I thought moving the best that he has in a couple of games here. Miller, like finishing checks there in the oh, end. Oh, the one th- big he had early in the third period. I mean, he rattled like the entire end boards. Mm-hmm. Now, JT in the draw tonight struggled. Seven... Uh, 13. Nashville's really good in the draw. Nashville's really good. I believe after the first period, the Canucks were 19% in the draw. They finished 45%, so, so improved made, the rest yeah. of the way. Uh, but JT tonight, uh, again, plus one, five shot attempts, three hits, 
three giveaways, uh, one takeaway, and then the seven face-offs wins. Like, again, it, it's kind of a full box score for JT tonight. And he found himself playing mostly against the other t- opposition's top players, mm-hmm. five on five. You know, and and that's a huge part of it. Um, really good performance from him. Uh, all right, uh, we'll get back to uh, some of your text messages coming up in just a moment, and we are going to get to Ian McIntyre uh, in a few moments as well. But before we do do that, we talk about the star players, and uh, the netminder has been a star for the Vancouver Canucks, stood tall in that third period to ensure the Canucks won the game 3-2, and here he is post-game from Nashville. Really impressive effort, I thought. Um you know, I think we we did some some good things to improve our game in the Florida game, and um, obviously built on that tonight. So uh, I'm really proud of the guys. It's been oof, a long road trip. You know, sometimes these these last games are uh, are tough. You know, you're excited to get home. We've been out for 13 days now, so everyone's excited to see their families and stuff. But it's important to to bring a business mentality to these last games and make sure that we we close out the road trip well. It does for team identity or mentality to. You know, you had a real low point as a team in Philadelphia, and you've come back and got better each game. Yeah, I mean, I, I told you guys in Philly that I, th- I thought we were going to respond, and uh, you know, I think we got a little better each game on the road trip. You know, in Tampa we were better than we were in Philly, and then Florida we were better than we were in Tampa, and then tonight was our best game. So um, I knew that that's what this team was going to do, and um, it's important that we we go home and take advantage of this home ice we have coming up. You mentioned the length of the road trip, but there are some road games that are like more difficult. For psychological reasons or, or time management reasons, maybe Philly at the start because the times don't change in the game like tonight. Um, I don't know. I mean, the schedule's hard in the league for everyone. It's uh, it's a lot of games. It's a lot of time away from home, and it's just how it is. Um, Got to be professional about it, and you know, like I said, it's it's uh, important to to bring up as this business mentality of the games uh, and the road trip here. So, uh, really proud of the group tonight. From your vantage point, the blue. What are you seeing on the penalty kill aside from fewer high-quality chances? I think just less seams is a big one. Um, a lot of the plays are, you know, either shots from the flank or, um, you know, the low jams, which are, are my responsibility. So um, <clears throat> proud of, of that unit. I think, you know, we started the year off against the best power play of all time, you know, for two games, and thought we came away from that pretty happy. And, um, you know, just continue to build on it. It's going to be an important part of our game here. Um we want to make the playoffs. So, do you get to the point where you have a swagger as a unit? For sure. Are you there? I think so. I think each each game it, it just builds. Um, you know, especially tonight, like they get that one late. I think it was just, I don't know how much time it was left, maybe four minutes or whatever it was. And we get a good kill, and then you know, we took another one, and uh, luckily we we got a call back to even it up. But um, yeah, I didn't feel any panic in our group, and uh, that's the mentality you have to have. That is Canucks netminder Thatcher Demko after a 3-2 win over the Preds and uh, felt really good about how they played as a team and especially even how they're playing as a PK unit as well and how they're kind of finding their way as a team. And again, like we can't say enough things in terms of how, how much it means just getting these wins under your belt, especially for a team that's had such a hard start to begin seasons year in and year out. And, you know, I think one of the prevailing prevailing sentiments in the text inbox have been like Shaquille and New West saying, "Feels good, man. That's it. That's the text." <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, you know, not, and somebody else texted us like, "Boy, I, I, do you guys feel better doing these post game shows than what you saw last year to begin the season?" And it's like, listen, I, I, we're happy to be here no matter what. We feel the same. We feel the same in being here. Yes, but I do feel a lot better for the fans. Yes, that the temperament is 
very normal to begin a season. There is some enthusiasm. There is some level of trepidation. Yes, there are concerns. There's a healthy, you know, level of skepticism as as well that exists, and that's completely fine. And I think that's healthy. I think it's good. I think it's good to have skepticism. I think it's good to have people that that don't buy in right away and and ask questions and poke and prod and wonder what's actually here, even though we're, we're, we're just six games into the season. But it's good to have this type of start, Bic, where you know what? Like There are things that you can like about the team, and there are real obvious areas of growth. And not only in terms of what, what they have to add to the team, but like we know, but in terms of just what we see and what we saw tonight, I know people, somebody asked, is this the baseline of what we should expect from this team? I don't think we've seen the baseline yet. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen some very good things, and we saw the first game as well, but I still think there's more this team can do, and until we get there, we don't know what that baseline is. Clearly, they're still an imperfect team. We talk about how much they have to do things by committee. But I think the plan is making sense in terms of what the coaches want to see, in, in terms of their style of play, the personnel they've brought in, and how they're fitting those roles. And we'll see how it goes from this point on. But there are a lot of encouraging signs, I think. And especially when you see a game like this to close a road trip, which could easily have been a trap game. You know what I think also generates a lot of excitement is, you know, we talk about passionate fan bases and being in a Canadian market and, and wanting to live in the minutia of every little detail that happens. When, when you're winning, you can talk about the minutia of the game. Yes. I, and, you, and I prefer doing that. You man. can live in the micro. Yeah. The past couple of seasons, and I shouldn't even say couple, eight seasons, ten seasons, fans have had to live in the minutia of the macro of... What does this mean for his salary cap? And what is this buyout? And what is an offer sheet here? And it's it's big picture conversations that can be exciting. But now fans get to live in the, hey, Brock Besser, what a great pass to Phil DiGiuseppe. Yeah. What is his hand eye on that play? JT Miller finishing checks. And, and you get to live in the moment-to-moment madness that fandom gets to be. And you get to carry this into game-to-game-to-game. So it's a lot of fun, I imagine, for fans to say, hey, you can see the building blocks of what each of these games mean because we're not sitting here talking about, well, if you got to move this guy by March and this and because the, the season's not lost. The season's very on right now for the Vancouver Canucks. And honestly, I, I have more fun analyzing the game and scouting the other team and watching and, and trying to figure out, figure out the matchup than talking I was watching big St. picture Louis on Blues While you guys were on TV, I was watching the Blues exciting, the past man. couple of games. That's exciting. The Canucks are off to a 4-2 start. They have hope to begin a season. And you know what? A, a breath of fresh air, not only for us covering the game, people traveling with the team like the man we call the triple threat. You see him on TV, you hear him on radio, you read him on digital. He is Ian McIntyre. I don't think Jimi Hendrix ever played Tootsies, but that would be totally awesome if he had. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Actually, there's a good uh, blues vibe to this town as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Hendrix was uh, a crossover artist, but uh, he would be he'd be right at home here. The Canucks were right at home tonight, and uh, I can't often say that about them in Nashville. It's been a difficult place for them over the years. And I thought tonight was actually their best game of 
of the season. Even even more impressive on a number of levels than the 8-1 opener against the Oilers. When you look at where they were and what we were talking about just mm-hmm. one week ago after that game in Philadelphia, and then how you know Rick Tockett took uh, a big gamble in saying what he did uh, for how it would be received and how the players would react to it, but then gave them space uh, to sort things out themselves, and the Canucks got better each game after that. Tonight, I, I thought they were terrific. You know, the fewest shots they've allowed in a road game in, in eight years. Uh, I thought they, they traveled a ton as a team on this road trip. They also flew a lot of miles. Yes. But they, tra- they came a long way as a team on this road trip from, from beginning to end, and they've set themselves up to, to have some momentum now when they go home. They had to get off to a better start. How, how much have we spoken about that since last April, all mm-hmm. through the summer and into training camp? Well, now they've done it. Now they've given themselves this platform, four and two through six games, which I don't think anybody would have predicted before the season started when you look at the schedule and the opponents that they had and now they uh, have a chance to to make it a successful month when they get back home to Van. And does it not also feel like they have a lot more they can show us as a group? Well, I think tonight, you know, they they won the game without really needing their Fab Four, mm-hmm. right? So so often it's been, and and this isn't a bad thing that we talk about. Uh, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and JT Miller and Thatcher Demko as much as as much as we do and those guys uh were terrific again tonight i haven't looked at the fancy stats i thought i thought jt miller was fantastic and quinn hughes we just get accustomed to it now of course demko has been playing uh, played well in every start and that's that's kind of you know we probably won't spend much time on that tonight but that's a really underreported story so far it's just how good the Canuck goaltending has been at five on five you know they're among the best in the league right now. But they they won this game anyways, and it wasn't a fluke that they won this game because they had uh, such such good execution and competitiveness, you know, winning the battles, not giving up a second chance, not giving up space in front of their net, you know, winning the battles along, along the boards, and they got they got goals from from other guys like Phil DiGiuseppe and and uh, Ilya Mikheyev. Yeah, they they play in the top six, but you know if if you end up with you know thirty five goals from the two of them this year, you're going to be elated. So, and you know N- Nils Hoaglander had a great game coming coming you know out of out of the press box to play. And and also scoring a goal. So I I think when you look at how the team played system wise tonight, and then you you add in the Fab Four on top of their game, yeah, there, there's another level. But I think they would I think they'd be pretty happy if they could just play at this level night after night uh, for the next five months. 
One of the things, that, the things that's interesting for me here, Ian, is, you know, we, we've talked about, like, things that they have to correct after, like, the Philly game. And we, after Tampa, it's like, okay, the second periods have to be better. And the PK has got to do this and this. And in three quick games here, it feels like they corrected a lot of things that were issues from the Edmonton and Philly games. And before, we would sit here and say, hey, over the course of ten games, can they fix this? Can they, Over the course of a month, can they fix this? In three games, it feels like they corrected a bunch of things that they probably didn't like. Yeah, I, I think the Philadelphia game, it was just so bad. It was an all-hands uh, all failure, a systemic failure, individual failure, that in a way it was good that it was that bad because it, it got everybody's attention. And I think it, it's also easier to kind of um, compartmentalize it, just seal it off that it was that bad and just say, that's not us, but let's prove that it's, it's not us. And, you know, they, ha- they have gotten better each game uh, since then. They were unlucky not to get something out of the Tampa game. Remember, afterwards, we were talking about lost opportunities, and it was a game where they could have had one or two points, and they got zero. Um, and then they go to, to, to Florida and play a lot better, but then just kind of stop playing. They get a little bit, of, a little bit afraid of winning in the third period, and they start playing in reverse. And then tonight, uh, you know, as I, I think talk it said, you know, we, we put it all together and they did. I think the penalty killing has been quite good all along. If you look at, you know, opening with two games against the Edmonton power play and then the Tampa power play is, is one of the best in the league as well. I think the penalty killing has been better than, than what uh, the numbers show. They certainly tonight were able to, avoid that in-game lull and and yeah there were you know stretches where the predators were a little better uh but not many and they didn't last that very long and i think that that's the key thing Uh, much like in in and i was talking to ian cole about this after the game much like in a 82 game season you you, you're you can't go the 82 games without having your challenges you're going to have losing streaks you're going to have injury crisis you're going to have times where maybe just you don't have luck and and you might lose uh, a couple of games that you feel like you shouldn't have but you don't want to extend those periods you don't want to you, if you have a bad you know couple of games then seal it at that seal it at you know three or four days or maybe you have a bad week but no more you can't have a bad two weeks can't have a bad month. How many bad months have we seen mm-hmm. from the Canucks where at the end of that month, it doesn't really matter what they're going to do the rest of the mm-hmm. way because they've played themselves out of the playoffs in, in that period of, of time. So just like you don't want those, those extended lulls over the course of the season, you don't, you, you don't want them in games, right? The game's the microcosm. And, and you, yeah, there's going to be five minutes where the home team is carrying some energy and momentum and they've, they've got the puck in your zone. Well, you just have to get through it and make sure that it's only five minutes and not 15 minutes. And that was the problem in a couple of these games on this trip where the Canucks couldn't stop. They couldn't stop that momentum. Uh, they ended up in their zone, you know, almost for the whole period uh, against uh, Florida on Saturday. So tonight uh, just much better, much better at that. 
and and now we'll see what they do when they get home. Like it, it is it is hard to play at this level every game, but you have to you have to try and you have to have um, effort like they had in this game if you want to be a playoff team. You have to find a way to do that a lot more often than not. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I thought one player who, even though he didn't get on the scoreboard and he still has 10 points on the season, but I thought Elias Pettersson looked the best he's looked in a couple of games. Yeah, I, I think he. I think he's, you know, what, whatever his, quote, banged up uh, injury was, uh, let's hope that it's getting a little better in time. The other, th- the other thing that I think he's going to benefit from is Mikheyev should continue to get better each game. And Kuzmenko wasn't nearly as good tonight as he was in Florida, but was still better than he'd been in the previous games. Mm-hmm. So that line, when, Bick, when you talk about there being another level, that line for sure has another level. And I think Pedersen has another level as, as well. Uh, I, I, thought, I thought he was good tonight in helping the team win, just like, I did, you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, JT Miller and, you know, Hughes and, and Roenick again, even so, you know, they weren't spectacularly uh, dominating like they had in, in Florida or dominating the score sheet. It was, uh, you know, I like the term that uh, the talk it used, they must have used it with the players because I heard a couple of players say it as well. It was very professional. Mm-hmm. You know, you're at the end of you're at the end of two weeks on the road. You've had a day off in in uh, Nashville, and just like there's the Vegas flu, there's the Music City flu too. Sometimes for teams, and you've made progress in the two games in Florida. Well, now you know, be professional. Now bring it in this last game. Make the trip successful. You go home with some momentum and traction, and that's what they did. There's huge. I'm just, you know, writing my column now for Sportsnet, and I'm, I make the point that, you know, every game is worth two points, but they're not all equal. Mm-hmm. And even so, this is only game six tonight. This was like an early midterm yeah. on what this team is going to be or supposed to be under under Rick Tockett. And there's, I can tell you, you know, from the players' reaction, there's a big, big difference in feeling going home with a win here in Nashville, you go home at four and two, you've won the road trip with three of the five games and you feel like you're really on to something. Whereas had they lost, and especially if they played poorly, if they'd played the way they did tonight and and lost, that would have been okay. But if they played poorly and lost, you go home at three, 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 you've, you've lost whatever traction, whatever improvements that you've made in the two games in Florida, you feel like you didn't, you didn't extend that streak and, and, you know, three and three is still okay. When you look at the schedule, but it, it, it would feel a lot different than what they're feeling now flying home at four and two. Uh, you mentioned Hughes and Ronick and, and you wrote a good piece about that up at sportsnet.ca. Even dropping in Oppenheimer references in that one. Um, <laughs> really good. I saw the movie on this trip. I had some downtime. <laughs> right <on. laughs> and, and it was one that I'd missed. So I'm glad I saw it. Um, you know, obviously Hughes has done some some great work as well this off season to kind of level up his game. But should we also be focusing on what Heronic allows Queen Hughes to do because he's never had a partner like this? Yeah, he hasn't. And honestly, I, I still don't know how long this is going to last because 
they clearly are the two the, the team's two best defensemen, and they have skill sets that that overlap. So I can understand why all through the preseason, the coaching staff and, and especially Adam Foote was determined that these guys should be on different pairings just to spread the talent balance the the blue line. But they are playing so well together, and and uh, Quinn told me, and thanks for the plug in my story. He told me that it is easier for him, uh, or even easier. I, I, he makes everything look easy yeah. right now. But he says it is easier for him that he's playing with a guy who has such a similar skill set because it doesn't always have to be Quinn who goes back to retrieve the puck and make make the first pass because Rona can can do that as well. And, uh, you know, Quinn is so good at getting back even when he goes forward, but now he knows there's another guy who, who can do the same thing, who can, you know, contribute to the attack, but get back in an awful hurry. And, and it was interesting talking to Adam Foote about Hronik as well, because, you know, he, he said there's a couple of things that he does that he didn't know that Hronik was as good at as he is, because when they first saw him last year, he arrived hurt. And then he played four games favoring his shoulder, and then they shut him down. And he's seeing uh, foot is a very, uh, very different uh, player now that Ronick is healthy. And one of the things that foot talked to me about was just how good uh, Ronick's gap is, how, how close he is and how, how active he is with his stick. And again, that sounds like Quinn Hughes when we're talking about how Quinn defends, mm. but he says he, he's so active his gap is so tight and he's so active with his stick that he, he just turns back the other team uh, so often. He, he makes it, he just sparks the transition game. And, and if you're, if you're going to be in transition, who, who better to have by your side than, than, than Quinn Hughes. So, uh, you know, Ronick, I think he's played well. They've both benefited, you know, when you look at them statistically and they're just crushing it, you know, analytically these last few games. But a big, big part of this is how good the Canucks goaltending has been at five on five. You know, if you look at the PDOs, and I'll let Sad explain exactly what PDO is because <laughs> yeah. I know he loves talking about this stuff. But I mean, the, everyone, and including that pair, has benefited by how good the Canucks goaltending has been at, at five on five. But those two guys, it's, I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen a pairing on the Canucks that has a chance to be dominant. And that certainly is a pairing that, well, it has been the last uh, three games, but if they stay, stay together, they could be one of the, the best pairings in the National Hockey League. Yeah, they certainly can. And uh, when they play the way they're playing right now, then it really is pretty indisputable keeping them together, especially with the victories coming. Ian, great stuff as always. We appreciate your time. I'm really excited to read your latest and see what type of reference you throw into your next article on sportsnet.ca. Well, I the think the Barbie that, reference. The Barbie is the one that's missing now. <laughs> I never saw the movie though. Yeah. I heard about it. I should have seen it. Not I too late. More to you have another road trip coming more, up. More yeah. to it than what people think. Okay. So right. a social commentary. But no, I'm I'm you know the connects were good enough. I don't really have to do any fancy writing tonight. I just have to, you know, let them have their say and and give them credit because tell uh, you having been there in Philadelphia one week ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm impressed and a little surprised at how they've 
how well they've responded. And surprised not because I didn't think they were capable of it, but we've just seen so many downturns in the last three years and so many times where you were looking for a response and and we didn't fully see it. Well, there was a full-on response uh, over these last three games to what happened in that game in Philadelphia. And so we'll see now what they do when they get home. Yeah, very encouraging, and uh, we'll see ultimately what happens on the three-game homestand. Ian, great stuff as always. I look forward to seeing you back at the rink on Friday. Good night, fellas. Uh, thank you. That is Ian McIntyre, and this insider was brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the works. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. It's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Th- special thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory. Uh, any final words here, Bick, before we sign off? Anything you want to plug or any, any thoughts you had on what Ian had to say? Read his stuff at sportsland.ca. Yeah, uh, no, the, the Hughes and Ronick the stuff. Yeah. Um, not just IMAX piece, but like he mentioned, like we haven't seen a dominant pair like this. And I know, you know, Quinn played with Chris Tanev. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a different skill set. Like he's had a good partner before, but it's also his rookie year, just kind of learning everything. Like this is something that for me, this was always the break class in case of emergency emergency scenario. And to see them start like this and actually pick up some W's and some points, uh, interesting uh, thing to keep to keep an eye on. Well, they're playing with a lot of immediacy. Yeah. And, well, at least they're off to a good start. Keep it up. So, keep know. it up because there's opportunities here right now in this division. Absolutely. All right. Uh, thanks for all your text messages, the phone calls, and to all of you listening and participating in the show. We appreciate every single one of you and would look forward to chatting with you again coming up on Friday on the post. But a lot more coming up on Canuck Central this week. I'm Satyar Shaw. He's Bik Nazar. Back again on Canuck Central tomorrow with Dan Riccio on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.